This week in KMA Lunch and School Board, here is SEA, SSA Plus additional offers. Andrew Christensen named new SHS principal. Page County supervisors address gender balance issues on county commissions. Montgomery County Solar Ordinance clears second reading. Court of Appeals upholds McCunn murder conviction. And Mills County's Emergency Management Coordinator calls it a career. I'm Mike Peterson. As school districts across KMA land await a final decision on state funding, representatives of teachers and support staff made their initial bargaining proposals to the Shenandoah School District this week. Meeting in regular session late Monday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board formally acknowledged the receipt of opening proposals from the Shenandoah Education Association and Shenandoah Support Staff Association Plus. Representing the district's certified staff, the SEA proposes a base salary increase from $37,640 to $41,200, or 7.95%, for a dollar amount increase totaling more than $554,000. The SEA also proposes a career increment increase from 10 to 14% of the base wage and adding $30 to each horizontal and vertical step, as well as an extension to the current contract from June 30th, 2025 to June 30th, 2026. In making the initial proposal, elementary instructor and SEA member Amy Bopp cited the increased stress inflicted on teachers by COVID-19 as one of the reasons for the proposed base wage hike. Our staff has worked with more stress and sickness than ever before due to the shortage of substitute teachers and an increase of staff taking sick leave for themselves or emergency leave to care for family members that are ill more staff recovering for other classrooms or taking on additional workloads. This impacts the time for instruction with our students and the hours provided to plan and prepare for this work. The work is more intense and the time for instructional planning has been encroached upon by the increase of responsibilities that arise on a daily basis. Like other districts, high school social studies instructor Brian Douse says the increased stress is impacting teacher retention. The compounded stress of multiple years has hastened the departure of educational professionals in our district. Many of our educators are considering leaving our district um, or the profession entirely, taking with them their content, expertise, and the system, or their systemic knowledge that provides the district with the continuity in reaching its academic goals for our students. Saying Shenandoah is not the only district experiencing these challenges, Douth says it must compete with neighboring districts for more qualified and talented applicants to fill open positions. There's a shortage of applicants, as well as a decrease in the number of college students that are graduating with a teaching degree. We want to recruit and retain the best professionals in education and build our community assets. Doust added that while inflation has risen 7% in the past year, the district's base average has only increased close to 1.2% for a year over the decade. SSA Plus officials, meanwhile, called for a base salary increase of $1.40 per hour for non-certified staff, amounting to an increase of more than 7.96%, or a total of $160,100. It's part of a proposed three-year agreement running from July 1, 2022, to June 30th, 2025. In other business, the board approved the contract of Andrew Christensen as Shenandoah High School's new principal with a salary of $112,000. A Neola native, Christensen graduated from Tri-Center High School in 2002. 
He then attended Iowa Central Community College, then graduated with a bachelor's degree in physical education with an emphasis on coaching from Dana College in 2007. Christensen then spent two years as a special education instructor at Omaha Benson High School, then three years as a teacher and coach at Elkhorn South High School before moving to Fort Calhoun Junior Senior High School. Christensen spent seven years there as a head football coach, strength conditioning coordinator, and PE instructor, then the last to his athletic director and assistant principal. Christensen tells KMA News he sought the SHS principal's position because it met all his criteria for relocation. You know, I'm from southwest Iowa, so I know the area pretty well. Um, I have a few contacts of mentors of mine that are in the area that have said great things about Shenandoah, which encouraged me to apply for the position. It's been my aspiration to be a high school principal. And so as I started to look at that, Shenandoah just really stuck out to me. Um, I was very picky as I'm very happy here where I'm at in terms of where I would apply for. And Shenandoah um, fit the bill and, and checked all the boxes. Christensen says he also enjoyed the interview process. When I got there for the interview, I felt right at home. Dr. Nelson was fantastic to work with, great communicator. Um, and I love her vision moving forward and the progressive vision of, of Shenandoah School District as a whole. The administrative team was great. I enjoyed the student panel. I got to meet the staff. And um, overall, just the community flow was fantastic. When taking the high school's helms July 1st, Christensen says his first objective is to build relationships. When I go in, I, I want to make sure that I'm sure that um, we, we build great relationships with the staff and the students. Um, and everything starts with relationships and that connectivity between myself and those people that I'm around. Setting high expectations, modeling the behavior that I expect from my staff and my students. And just building those relationships. Christensen also wants to talk to staff members before putting other goals on paper. Christensen was one of two finalists for the opening. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Kerry Nelson says teams of parents, staff, and students were involved in the principal selection process. He interviewed with a community parent group, also with a staff group and a student group, and had really strong feedback. And we just really believe that he will be a really good fit for our team as a group of administrators for the high school as their leader and a really good community partner. 36 applications were received for the opening. The superintendent was pleased with the quality of candidates. I was very pleased with the quality of applicants. The final two applicants that came were you know, Andrew Christensen and another individual that was from out of state. But my goodness, the, the quality and, of their background and experiences and their ability to connect with people was very strong, and so I, I was very pleased with the process as a whole, the applicant pool, and then um, at the time, very pleased with our final decision. Christensen and wife Julie have three children and will be relocating to the community. He succeeds Gail Allensworth, who steps down to the end of the current school year. Gender and demographic balance were significant topics of discussion during Page County's latest board appointments this week. Meeting in regular session Tuesday morning, the county's board of supervisors discussed and appointed a member to the Conservation Board, the Civil Service Commission, and the Zoning Board of Adjustments. For the Conservation Board, Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong says the appointment is to replace Tom Johnson, whose departure leaves unbalance in the gender and democratic balance of the board. We currently have three women and one man left on the board, correct? So the general thoughts from the Conservation Board to me probably should be a man. And then when you look at the layout demographically, as far as territories, uh, right now we don't have anybody. We have one over on the Corinda side 
and everybody, one in Shenandoah and then two in Essex area. Iowa's gender law, Section 69.16a, passed in 2009 and going into effect in 2012, required all cities and counties to have an equal number of men and women serving in appointed positions on boards and commissions. Page County had three applicants for the Conservation Board opening, including two men, William Robertson and Tim Bowers, and one woman, Julie McAndrews. Armstrong says Robertson does have experience in the Conservation Board. Bill had experience on the board before. He was uh, had to resign because he had a conflict of interest because he was working for the conservation agency at that time. And uh, we felt it was better. And he now that he's no longer working, he would like to be back on. However, both supervisors, Jacob Holmes and Chuck Morris, said they had received calls from citizens voicing their support for Bowers. Ultimately, Robertson's experience prevailed, and he was unanimously appointed by the Conservation Board. As for the Zoning Board, the county received two interested applicants in Lindsay Pirtle and George Crawford, whose expiring term creates the vacancy. Page County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen confirmed the Zoning Board fell under the gender-balanced law in Iowa, prompting Armstrong to seek advice from Page County Attorney Carl Songson. Carl has given, us, given me the recommendation that we probably since we had both a man and a woman apply. And if we feel the woman can do the job, we should probably give her, since in 12, they made that push that we should do our best to do what the state of Iowa feels is correct. Currently, the five-member zoning board consists of all men, and Armstrong said he believed Pirtle could do the job. After deliberation, the board unanimously approved to appoint Pirtle to the Zoning Board of Adjustments. Finally, the board received one interested applicant for the Civil Service Commission in Mike Anderson, who was appointed unanimously. At that same meeting Tuesday, the supervisors took action regarding additions to the county annex building. Board members set a bid due date for March 14th and a project time frame with construction to be completed by October 1st. Supervisor Chuck Morris says work is expected to include the construction of a lift shaft and working to meet ADA compliance with first floor bathroom. You know, basically the work is to uh, propose installing the lift and to make the one bathroom create an ADA compliant bathroom downstairs. That's basically what's happening. The board had previously discussed using American Rescue Plan Act funding to pay for the nearly $67,000 estimate on a lift. However, this latest bid will go towards the construction of the shaft. At that November meeting, Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong said both projects would satisfy current ADA compliance issues in the facility. Armstrong says he believes that six months should be enough time to account for any supply chain issues that could hinder the project's completion. If bids were to be back in by the middle of March, I would think we surely could expect, you know, no more than six months. I don't know, four months. I mean, it's going to be tough. You know, we got to work around supplies, right? what's available. The board was unanimous in their vote and planned to review the bids at their March 15th meeting. Montgomery County took another step towards solar energy regulations Tuesday morning. By unanimous vote, the county's board of supervisors approved the second reading of a solar power amendment to the county's zoning ordinances, setting standards for future projects. Board members took action despite hearing written comments from one local resident calling for changes in the proposed ordinance. In a letter read by Supervisor Mike Olson, Marcus Taylor of Villisca states that while provisions for solar projects are vital, he believes the current amendment should be revised prior to its final passage. 
Supervisor Charlotte Schmidt replied that it's up to the county's Planning and Zoning Commission to make any changes in the amendment. You need to go back to the Planning and Zoning Commission. By the time it comes to us as county supervisors, we're not, there's no changes that we're going to make. So we're either going to vote yes or no. And I agree with you. There could be there could be some better clarifications and it cleaned up. But you need to really go back to the Planning and Zoning Commission. Supervisor Mike Olson, meanwhile, reiterated earlier comments that the amendment should not be too cumbersome as to deter companies from considering Montgomery County for a solar project site. He also echoed comments made by Planning and Zoning Commission Chair Bryant Amos that the regulations can be changed if needed. The supervisors opted to place the amendment's third reading on its agenda for next week. The Iowa Court of Appeals this week upheld the conviction of a Red Oak man for first-degree murder. In an opinion released Wednesday, a three-judge panel from the Court of Appeals affirmed the district court's 2019 handling of the case in which Toby McCunn was convicted of murdering Joshua Jordan at a Shenandoah home in April 2019. The decision comes five weeks after McCunn's attorney, Mary Conroy, argued for a new trial in the case, saying the jury in the trial was not instructed properly on what it could and could not consider in the case, namely their instructions on how to decide that the shooting was justified. McCunn's defense claimed the shooting was an act of self-defense after Jordan pulled a gun first. In this case, this was important because there was no real gun contestation by the defendant that the defendant did shoot um, the decedent in this case. However, the main issue at trial is whether or not that shooting was justified. In this case, um, the district court failed to adequately instruct the jury um, on the issue of justification. Assistant Attorney General Aaron Rodgers, arguing on behalf of the state, said the actions of McCunn following the shooting did not point to self-defense. Authorities eventually took McCunn into custody several hours after the shooting following a brief standoff at another residence. Rogers says authorities found the gun used to kill Jordan hidden under a floorboard in the attic, not something consistent with self-defense. Before leaving, he said to the people at the house, you call 911, I'll kill you all too. Um, he, he didn't go to the hospital for a bullet, bullet wound in his leg, um, and he hid his, hid his car in the garage uh, and uh, and told the told the people who picked him up not to not to talk to the authorities. He didn't he didn't call the police himself, um, which if if you've used force justifiably in self defense, um, you'd think that would be the first thing that you would do. McCunn's legal team had also asked for the conviction to be thrown out, claiming a juror in the case admitted to having prior knowledge of the events surrounding the incident. In the opinion authored by Judge Mary Tabor, the appeals court says the court did not commit instructional error, pretrial publicity did not compel a change of venue, seating a challenged juror did not warrant a new trial, and that the court did not abuse its discretion in allowing testimony about prior bad acts by McCunn. McCunn is currently serving a life sentence without parole at the Iowa State Penitentiary in Fort Madison. After more than two decades on the job, Mills County's Emergency Management Coordinator is calling it a career. Tuesday is the last day for Larry Hurst, who announced his retirement last week. Hurst has served as the county's EMC for nearly 22 years. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Monday morning, Hurst called the decision to retire short-fused. At the same time, he says he's not getting any younger, and the timing was right to step away from public service. I did spend 32 years in the military almost, and uh, so I was looking 
here back in the last year or so that, you know, uh, 50-some years government service, uh, maybe I need to spend a little more time with my family. So that was part of it, and I think just it kind of creeped up on me, and, and I think there's a lot of things here this year came into play, and I think it was just the timing was right. Over the years, Hearst has guided the county's response to numerous disasters. Two of them would be floods, the floods of 11, because of the length of that event, and it really, we never breached any of our levees, but the water came up, and we had to evacuate a lot of the county down in the I-29 corridor, and then... Of course, the flood of 2019 was probably one of the hardest, most emotional floods uh, that I've witnessed since I've been alive. And, and I know there's been others in past years, but I would say those two are the biggest. Hearst has also witnessed some major changes in the emergency response during his tenure. He says both the county and state have improved mitigation strategies and public communications regarding disasters. I know the state of Iowa has worked with us here locally to work harder at getting people to be better prepared. So... I think we've had these disasters, as you know, over the last uh, decade or two, off and on, flooding, the tornadoes, the severe storms, uh, you name it. And uh, uh, the public, uh, I think, have, have gotten better prepared. I think through self-awareness and, and uh, being Iowans, uh, we all tend to, to look out for each other and, and look to be prepared for the what-ifs. Another improvement is the county's E911 communication system, which Hertz says greatly improved radio coverage for the county's first responders. Mills County's Emergency Management Commission has yet to decide on Hertz's successor. Under a continuity plan, Gay Barney will continue to serve as the county's emergency management specialist, and Susan Weigel takes over as the county's 911 director. Like KMA land residents, cities and counties in the region are coping with rising fuel costs and supply delivery issues. As of Wednesday, AAA Iowa listed the average regular unleaded gas price at $3.33 a gallon and diesel at $3.71 a gallon. And Shenandoah officials are among those experiencing a sticker shock with increased fuel costs. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman told KMA News this week, departments with the most vehicles, like the street and park and recreation departments, are bearing the burden of higher gas prices. Part of it is uh, the cost of doing business, you know. I mean, we have a responsibility and an obligation to get out there and plow roads and uh, and do the things that we got to do. So it, to a certain extent, you know, it, it, it is the cost of doing business where, where we're having to look at where we need to tighten our belts a little bit and here and there. During last week's budget workshop prior to the regular Shenandoah City Council meeting, Lyman confirmed additional dollars have been built into various departments' budgets for next fiscal year to provide a cushion from increased fuel prices. Then there's the continuing supply chain issues. Lyman says a delay in the part delivery put the city sewer jet out of commission for four weeks, and the increased materials cost impacted the bid letting for the new Priest Park playground equipment. The Priest Park playground equipment that we're you know looking at trying to get going here as quick as possible. You know the estimate that we had from two years ago was you know significantly less than what the cost is coming back as now. You know you know if you look across uh, the construction industry and everywhere else, you know there's there's quite a few cost increases over the last couple of years. So we're feeling it on everything as well. It's the same song, different verse with Page County Secondary Roads Department. County Engineer J.D. King says increased costs have hit his department pretty hard. We have a lot of engines that that burn diesel. And, you know, we travel around the county every day. Although I don't have any big quantitative number to tell you it's affecting us in a certain way, any increase in prices, you know, 
reduces the amount of work that can be done. But it's not just fuel prices impacting the department's pocketbook. King says increased material costs have also been an issue. Steel for pipes has gone up. Last time we ordered a 40% increase in costs there. Rock costs another dollar and a half. Just was announced that last week. So, uh, you know, across the board, cost of materials is increasing. So, therefore, our bottom line budget is is nearly the same. So, our ability to do work or to service projects, is, you know, is reduced. It's unfortunate, but you know, we we deal with it. Through, it's a it's a fact of life. One saving grace is what King calls a pretty mild winter thus far. Snow plows have been out less often over the past few weeks, meaning more time to devote to other tasks such as clearing brush. Though the weather has been relatively quiet as of late, King warns that it's only mid-February and the area has plenty of winter left. Super Bowl 56 was special for more people besides Los Angeles Rams fans, as a small KMA land community received a big shout-out in a commercial during the big game. Founded in the early 1880s with a current population of 154 strong, the city of Gravity sits north of Bedford on Highway 148. And little did they know that come Super Bowl Sunday, their name would be plastered all over the social media. So uh, you're a perfect match for a freelancer who just bought a home that's also her office? That's right. What if? I actually have no idea how to freelance, but... I invest in crypto in my hometown of Gravity, Iowa. Then I'd say you're down to earth and help you report your gains and losses. What the TurboTax live commercial named Matchmaker, which aired during Super Bowl 56 Sunday, featured a man who invested in cryptocurrency from his hometown of Gravity, Iowa. Gravity Mayor Charles Ambrose says the shout-out didn't come as a complete surprise as the city had been contacted previously about an ad campaign. He had uh, been contacted back in the early fall uh, from an ad company that want, would want it to know if it would be okay to use uh, Gravity's uh, logo uh, in an ad campaign. And we didn't know at the time uh, what they were going to do with it, but uh, we agreed to let them as long as, you know, they didn't try to copyright it or anything. And uh, I just found out a couple days ago what they were going to do with it. And Ambrose says he and the community enjoy the cameo on one of the largest stages possible. I guess it's unusual. Uh, I, I don't know. I was you know, I, I had been told a day or two before that that it was coming, so I wasn't completely surprised. But uh, I, I, I guess all I can say is kind of neat for a little town to get that kind of exposure. Despite the town's smaller size, Ambrose says he still has a lot of pride for the small town and enjoyed the coverage. We're like a lot of little towns in southern Iowa, we really struggled lately. Uh, there's not a whole lot here, but, uh, uh, you know, I've lived here most of my life, and I think it's an awful good place to live. It's a nice little town, and that. Uh, you know, I'm glad to live here. The ad also featured one of the town's slogans, We're Down to Earth, featured on a T-shirt worn by one of the actors. And an Oklahoma man went home $50,000 richer this week after hitting it big on a scratch-off lottery ticket in Shenandoah. The Iowa Lottery announced Wednesday that 38-year-old Jason Martin of Moreland, Oklahoma, claimed the prize at the lottery headquarters in Clive. Martin's big win came courtesy of the lottery's $5 roll-the-dice scratch game. Martin says he's in Shenandoah twice a year for business. We're with a brown shoe fit company. Okay. So we come up to Shenandoah, Iowa. That's where our corporate office is twice a year. You know, this first, And this is the first year in two years because of COVID we haven't been able to. Right. So, like... This is a welcome, pretty good welcome back 
party. Martin says he and some colleagues stopped at Casey's at 605 South Fremont Street, where he bought four tickets and checked them at the store's self-checker. So I scratch all four, and the first one comes up. It says, congratulations, winner, $5. I'm like, okay. Next one, congratulations, winner, $5. I'm like, all right, half my money back. Third one, not a winner. I'm like, this, all right, that's normal. But um, but then the fourth one, uh, I scan it, and I saw congratulations, winner, and and I saw 50000 I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, I know that the tickets were 50000 but what did I win, you know? And then I'm like, wait a minute, I think it's telling me I won $50,000. Martin says he kept the ticket at a co-worker's safe in town and then traveled to collect the prize. Martin says he and his wife plan to use the money to pay down some bills and pay off some monthly obligations. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you can hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.